going to be uh, taking a look at the gifts of healing. You know, I've been praying about this for a while, and I'm just kind of wondering, Holy Spirit, are you going to show up for this? Are you going to heal someone this evening? Are you going to, what are you going to do? So I, I'm just kind of in hopeful expectation, and there are a bunch of people in my head that I want to pray for healing for. And so this evening, as we continue in our service, I'm sure I'm going to be lifting them up in prayer, and I encourage you to do the same, and maybe just start writing those names down as I'm teaching, and maybe we can pray for those people a little later. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather here and that uh, we can study your word. And Holy Spirit, we wait in hopeful, faithful expectation to see the manifestation of your supernatural hand in people's lives, especially those this evening who are in need of a touch for healing, whether of illness or disease or something else that they're going through, that they need that supernatural touch from you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, and we ask that you would work amongst us, in us, through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing to explore the uh, spiritual gifts that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this evening, taking a look at the gift found in verse 9, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, if you look in the Bible, it's obvious that God is a healer, and we can trace God as healer throughout the Bible, starting in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they were able to bear children. And then you hop on over right to the very next book in the book of Exodus, and in chapter 15, verse 26, it's written, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And the word there is Jehovah Rapha, when they're mentioning healer there, and that means the Lord that heals. And then the next stop, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. We read about God healing Miriam of leprosy in Numbers chapter 12. God healing Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20 from a condition that was going to take his life. And there are Many more biblical references as God as a healer, and we can do that all night long, just me making references to God as a healer. Just one more, New Testament. James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, because we're actually going to be practicing this this evening. We have we've invited our elders to be here this evening to pray for anyone who is sick and to anoint you with oil, because that's what the scriptures teach. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So we'll do that this evening. And we're going to ask that you would have that faith to step up and we would have that faith to pray for you. But before that, I'd like us to examine the topic of healing. And let's first take a look at the ministry of Jesus a significant part of Jesus' ministry was healing. And you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. 
chapter 9, verse 35 of Matthew. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When Jesus sent out the twelve, he instructed them in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. So we see how the gifts of healing were a significant part of Jesus' ministry. And Luke recorded for us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. But it wasn't just Jesus with the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing through the Holy Spirit continued in Jesus' disciples after his ascension, and the gifts of healing were given to his followers, and they were to be used in their ministry. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Acts chapter 28, verse 8 and 9. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. God is a healer from Old Testament through the New Testament and into today and the future. God is a healer who has given his disciples the gifts of healing. Now I realize there are some people who believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased with the apostles. These people are described as cessationists. They believe that there was a time and a place that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to manifest in these supernatural ways, but those times were just in the times of the apostles, and since that time, they are no longer in operation, nor are they no longer needed. And so what is dependent upon those is their intellect. They want to give an apologetic for the Christian stance and to defend the faith through logic and reasoning. Now, that's not our belief here at our church at Regeneration. We believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today and that we need the Holy Spirit. And actually, church history proves that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have manifested beyond the apostles. And since we're taking a look at the gifts of healing this evening, we're just going to take a look at this particular gift as proof of that. God has been a healer since Genesis through the New Testament. Why would he suddenly stop at the apostles? And the argument is he hasn't. And there have been many followers of Jesus who have documented miraculous healings through prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you probably have stories of miraculous healings that have taken place in your life or where you've witnessed healings take place. And God is a healer. But I also understand that not everyone is healed. And to this, I don't know why. I've prayed for people and they have been healed. Praise God. And I've also prayed for people and they died. So that builds your confidence for what's going to happen this evening, doesn't it? <laughs> but the gifts of healing are found throughout the Bible. 
Now my thoughts are that if at any time you have been healed after being prayed for, you have received the gift of healing. And we don't read of the gift of a healer. That's not what we read. That people have the gift of healing. We read that it is the gifts, plural, of healing. So there have been many times you and I have personally received a gift of healing and you add those together and those are gifts of healing. When God healed my body. But it is not something that I can just conjure up and say, I have the gift of healing, therefore at any time I can pray for you and you're going to be healed. If that were the case, why doesn't someone go into Kaiser and just go into the NICU or the PICU or in the ICU and just heal everybody or the emergency room if they have the gift of healing? It is a gift from God. And if we had it one time, it doesn't mean that we have it for the rest of our lives or at our disposal just whenever we want it. There are people who God gifted with faith to believe he will heal them through this faith. And Peter had that faith. And he was able to heal people just as we read in Acts chapter 5, verse 15. The Apostle Paul also had that faith and he healed many people as well, but not all the time though. You look back into the Bible and you can see, you can read that at times Paul healed people and other times he couldn't because even his own health issues weren't supernaturally healed. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And it didn't. And while God didn't heal Paul through his own pleas, there were others that weren't healed by Paul's prayers either. Many who were, but there were a few who are mentioned in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Paul wrote about Epaphroditus, whom he obviously couldn't heal because he wrote, Indeed, he was ill near to death. And then Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And I'm sure Paul prayed for Timothy's health. And when Paul found out that God didn't heal Timothy supernaturally, he said, have a little wine. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul wrote about leaving Trophimus because he was too ill to travel to Miletus. And I'm sure Paul prayed for his friend, this ministry companion of his, and he wasn't able to travel with him. And now that's not to say that Paul didn't have the gift of healing. He obviously did. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So Paul had the gifts of healing, but it was a gift from God. Not for Paul just to will that gift. How does God determine when that gift is given? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just one of the mysteries of God. And what's funny is that once someone experiences this gift of healing, that they've been able to do that for somebody or any gift for that matter, isn't it funny that that person tries to rethink and bottle up how that happened? How did that happen? And they try to figure out, now how did I say that? And what was my posture like? And where did I exactly touch that person? And how did I pray? And, but the thing is that it's a gift from God, so it's not some formula that you happen to do it this way and therefore God worked through you. It, it doesn't work like that. You can't bottle up this gift from God. He simply gives it to you and it works. And Paul knew that. 
He tried to exercise his gift for himself and for some friends, but it didn't always work. But they continued in their ministry. They didn't get upset at the Holy Spirit. You jump ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. As the Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gifts as he wills. Whether someone gets healed or not is up to the Holy Spirit and it isn't something that we decide and it's not our fault. We don't have the responsibility for those things. We can't control who gets healed. God does. When the gifts of healings aren't given to us at the time that we desire, hopefully we recognize what happened to Paul after his prayers to be healed of the thorn in his side, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So whether you are healed or not, both of those things take faith, don't they? And perhaps not getting healed actually requires more faith. Because then you have to continue loving God. And you have to continue trusting the Holy Spirit even though he didn't heal you. Which one takes more faith? It's a great testimony to share of God's healing in one's life. And of course, there was faith for the gift of the healing to occur. And I think there is a greater opportunity for one's testimony in sharing when God has not healed someone. To share that prayers of healing have been asked for and that you have faith, you continue to have faith in God to heal you and you've completely surrendered to him. That his will will be done in your life. And that he has a purpose for what you're going through. And that you are going to submit your will to him. Because you know that God is in control. You know that he is sovereign. You know that he knows best. And you're content with that. And you realize that God's grace is sufficient for you. For your power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore boast all the more gladly of your weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Then Paul continued in verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That takes a lot of faith to be able to do that. To continue entrusting your soul to God, to continue doing good while you're suffering. That's a lot of faith to submit to God while you're suffering. And towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asks several rhetorical questions here, starting in verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the answer is no. Then Paul instructed in verse 31, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Some of you may be like me, greedy, and you've wanted to possess all of the spiritual gifts at one time. Right? And so many times I've desired to have the gifts of healing. 
So many. Especially when I'm doing hospital visits or home visits with those who don't feel well. And at times I'm thinking, maybe the Lord hasn't done that because I'm so immature because he knows that if I go like, oh Lord, please heal and they're healed. I'm like, yeah, check me out. I'm awesome. But please be in prayer for me. Tomorrow I'm going to Kaiser's PICU and I'm praying for a baby who's three months premature. His name's Isaiah. And so we're going to go visit him, John and I, tomorrow and his family. But it's times like that that I'm praying that God come through. You know, like when my grandmother was on her deathbed or my grandfather who was in the ER after he had a heart attack and I'm praying for him and he died that evening. And so, you know, it's especially at times like that. And then there are times where I've gone and I've prayed for people and they've gotten better but not right on the spot. It was like a little later. And so I don't know if God kind of like protected me from my immaturity so that I don't know if I was the only one that prayed for them and I can't take credit for it. So, you know, but it was a miracle nonetheless, right? It's a miracle and to God be the glory. But I've wanted that spiritual experience of praying for healing for someone right away and them get healed right in front of my eyes. I've wanted that. Like even if it was just the flu, the throat would stop hurting and the nose would stop running and all this. I've been praying for my kids for this this past week because they're sick. I'm like, God, come on, just... Sure. But they're still all green, crusty, mucusy. So the closest I got was healing a car. All right. See, my dad and I were in this really sketchy part of L.A. And my dad has this knack of finding these, like, really, really run-down Chinese restaurants that you would never want to go into, but they have really good food. And he's really good at that. So we're coming out of this restaurant late at night, and it's closing, and his car wouldn't start. It's just totally dead. We tried jumping it. We tried doing everything and it just wouldn't start. And we were there and it felt like forever, but it was probably just like five or 10 minutes, but it felt like forever because you know that when you're stressed, the shortest amount of time, it just feels like an eternity. And this is a really bad neighborhood. It makes this place like look like heaven. It's a really bad neighborhood. And so there we were just having finished dinner and we were with some friends and family and they took off. They're like, we don't want to be here. They're gone. The only people left are my sister and my mom is in that car and my brother-in-law. And they're waiting and their car is on and they're ready to just leave if something happens. But they're just staying there. So it's just me, one of my cousins, and my dad outside trying to figure out what's going on. And so I turned to my cousin and I told him, I'm going to pray and this car's going to start. And so I put my hand on the engine and I prayed. And then I said, start the car. And it started. I was like... Yeah, you know, (laughs) closest I've ever been to reviving the dead is a car. But I still desire to have all of the spiritual gifts. I desire to see all the gifts in operation in our church. I, I would love to see all that. And then I'm reminded to earnestly desire the higher gifts. So I've left it to God to do as he wills, and I'm instructed by the Lord to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, what are those? Now, we find that in the following chapter and in the following verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, am I a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, that doesn't mean that we stop praying for the spiritual gifts to manifest or that we stop praying for people to be healed. We're still going to ask the elders to pray for you who are sick and anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus, as James instructed in James chapter 5. But the results of the healing, the results of those prayer, the results of our faith, we leave to God. And we continue to exercise our gift of faith and our gifts of healing. It's not for us to determine who gets healed, when they get healed. It's not us that is healing. It is God who heals. And there's a lot of mystery around the gifts of healing. And I can't tell you that I understand it all. I, I don't. I, I, I don't understand why God heals sometimes and other times he doesn't. I, I don't know why. What I do know is that God is love and his ways are higher than my ways. His purposes are greater than my purposes and I trust in my loving God to carry out his will. That I do know. So, we believe in the gifts of healing. Does that mean that medical science is of no importance? Yes. No. No. God created biology and biochemistry and genetics and physiology and all that stuff. Ochem. Did anyone take Ochem? Wasn't that just a horrid class? But he built those fundamental building blocks to medical science, right? He gave us brains to be curious and to be creative, to come up with solutions to these various problems. And I believe that medicine is part of the gifts of healing. When God reveals how he engineered creation so that we can see how things work and know how things work and figure out the natural means as to how to heal people, I think he invites us to be participants with him to have this like-hearted compassion to healing those in need by allowing us to participate in the healing of others through natural as well as supernatural means. See, Jesus healed supernaturally, and I think that there are natural answers to how he healed. Have you ever thought about this? So right now, we know that leprosy's causative agents are Mycobacterium leprae and Mycobacterium lepromatosis, which we actually didn't even know until 2008, fairly recent, just five years ago. Why is that? Because pathogens before that, they were unculturable in a laboratory. So we, we, we've been given brains to try to figure this stuff out. And it wasn't until advancements in molecular genetics that we have been able to develop these non-culture-based techniques to establish causation of leprosy. Jesus already knew that. He already knew that microbacteria causes that stuff. I mean, he already knew that. So how did Jesus heal those people? 
I have no doubt that he addressed those bacterium. It's not like he just went, and how do you explain that? I don't think he works that way. I think he's like, well, it's uh, mycobacterium, leprae, mycobacterium, lepromatosis, and I have to stop those things because I created those. Now I have to get rid of those things. And so how he healed leprosy was still a miracle, even though there were these natural means to the causation of the condition. Even though we have these natural medical treatments nowadays, the effects of leprosy, they create permanent damage. And we read that Jesus healed and he cleansed lepers immediately. Immediately. So that is still a miracle. That was still supernatural in that medicine can't explain how Jesus was able to heal supposedly something that was permanently damaging in terms of the effects of leprosy and instantaneously. How did he do that? I mean, it wasn't like plastic surgery and all this kind of stuff. He did it. And so still miraculous and still mysterious. So when someone isn't healed through prayer, God has still revealed to us in his creation how things work so that we can participate in like-hearted compassion to heal people who are in need of healing. I don't think that going to physicians for healing is a lack of faith. I think that's just part of God's gift of healing. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus taking our illnesses and bearing our diseases. Matthew recorded this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This prophecy is in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 5. It reads, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. See, Jesus didn't just suffer for our sins. He also suffered for our illnesses and our diseases. And Matthew affirms that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Peter also affirms Isaiah's prophecy in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He wrote, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Isaiah prophesied, with his wounds we are healed. What wounds were Isaiah, Matthew, and Peter referring to? Well, Pilate had the Roman soldiers flog Jesus before Jesus was taken to the cross. Now, the intent of flogging was to force a confession from a suspect. But Pilate figured that, you know, if I have Jesus flogged, that would appease this mob that wanted him dead. But when he showed up and he was bloodied and mutilated and disfigured, they still wanted Jesus dead. There was no change in their heart. And so in the flogging, what would happen is they would bind someone to a post. They would bind the guy to a post. And I say guy because they did not flog women. And they would expose their back completely and they would be naked and they would expose by having them bend over so that their entire back would be exposed fully stretching it out, and then they would whip this exposed back with a flagellum. Now, a flagellum was 
a leather whip, probably a wood handle with leather strands in it, and within these leather strands would be embedded metal and glass and bone and these types of things. And so when it made contact with that back, it would stick, and they would rip it out. And so it would rip out this flesh, it would expose the muscle, it would expose the blood, all the blood vessels, the nerves, and they would do this continuously. Roman soldiers had no limit on how many times they could flog a person. The Jews had a number of 39 that they would implement, but Jesus was whipped by Roman soldiers, so we don't know how many times he was whipped. In Acts 22, verses 24 through 29, Paul was about to be flogged until he mentioned that he was a Roman citizen, right? The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But then they had stretched him out for the whips. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. What is he saying? You know, like in the United States, you can naturalize to be a citizen and you can kind of maybe know a politician and become a citizen or whatever. But it's different if you're not born here because you can never be president. You have to be born here. There are certain things that, you know, by birth, it gives you some status. Like I was born here. I I didn't just come in here. I was born here. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, Paul was not flogged because he was a Roman citizen. They did flog Jesus. And it was prophesied that Jesus would suffer these wounds. Now, why would God allow his son to suffer so much? Why would God allow such painful, inhumane, incapacitating suffering, disfiguring, suffering. So destructive was the flogging that men who were flogged, sometimes they died at the post before their actual capital punishment. Because in the Romans, before you were to face capital punishment, you would be flogged. So a lot of these guys would actually die on the post. Now why would a loving God allow for such torture of his only son? There's a purpose to it wasn't just needless pain it wasn't just needless suffering you take a look at Matthew chapter 26 verses 26 through 28 now as they were eating Jesus took the bread and blessing it broke it and gave it to his disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins Now, this cup seems to be fairly understandable. That through the blood of Jesus, he paid the debt of our sins. His blood was the atonement of our sins. So in taking communion, we understand that the grape juice that we use for the Eucharist is the symbol for Jesus' blood shed for us. And that by his blood, we have received forgiveness for our sins. Well, what about the bread, though? Because we always talk about the blood. We always talk about the spilling. But what about the bread? What about that cracker we use to symbolize Christ's body broken for us? 
Now, when we mention Jesus Christ broken for us, it's important to note that we don't mean that Jesus' bones were broken. David prophesied that Messiah's bones would not be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. John recorded the events of Jesus' crucifixion in John chapter 19, verses 31 through 36. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it was born witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. Psalm 34, 20. The purpose of his suffering. I think part of the flogging was why Jesus died so quickly. Because he was beaten so severely that he lost that much blood and he died more quickly than the other two guys that were next to him. Now, why is this? God had a purpose. His bones were not to be broken. He was to be a perfect sacrifice. This is why it's important. Because when a sacrifice is made to God, the sacrifice cannot have broken bones. It has to be perfect. And Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. So when Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it. See, it wasn't like it was out of his control. He willingly let himself be broken and gave to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. He was referring to his broken body, his flogged body. Back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, God would not allow for this pointless, needless suffering of his son. There was a meaningful purpose, a significant spiritual purpose in this suffering, this flogging of Jesus. And that purpose, I believe, is yes, for prophecy, that no broken bone shall be, but it's also for the healing of his people. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 20. This is where Paul addressed the Lord's Supper and corrected those in the Corinthian church about how they were taking communion because some of them were abusing it, starting in verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Some translations say, This is my body broken for you. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then as so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. 
There's a correlation between those who could be healed if they believe that, Isaiah 53, verse 5, with his wounds we are healed. See, some believe verse 30 refers to spiritual healing, and I'm not implying that it doesn't. I just think that it's incomplete. I think it's more comprehensive than just spiritual healing. I think the Bible teaches that through the suffering of Jesus, through this flogging of Jesus, with his wounds we are healed. There's this accessibility of physical, mental, emotional, other healings other than spiritual for us. And may we continue to pray for healing for those in need of it. May we gain a deeper understanding of the Lord's body broken for us and how he makes available to us the healing of our bodies and our mind. Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ suffered for us. By his wounds, we are healed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for suffering for us. Not just your death, but what precluded that. And thank you so much that by your wounds, we are healed. And we believe, Lord, in your power to have that gift of healing, to have the gifts of healing. And we pray for that this evening, if anyone is in need of that. Lord, after this study of the Lord's Supper and taking a closer examination of your body broken for us, I pray, Lord, as we come and celebrate in what you've done for us, your body broken, your blood flowing because you were pierced for us and we were cleansed of our sins, that we would take communion in a way where it's a little different for us this evening. That uh, there's a deeper sense of knowing what you did for us as you were being flogged, not just on the cross, but what happened before that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.